watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have three movies for you this week. Wild Rose, Diamantino, and Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess. Sassy Pants, what is going on with you? Well, thanks for asking. Well, I recently, uh, Scott and I recently celebrated a milestone uh, that you were a part of. We celebrated having spent 10 full years in this very apartment. Wow. The apartment that we're sitting in right now, the apartment in which you and I have taped every episode of our show. Because mm-hmm, you will not come to my house. Will not. Absolutely not. not you once actually you... You haven't left the house in 10 years. No. Yeah. Why would I? <laughs> I have everything I need. Uh, and that's a kind of, you know, it is a milestone that like on the one hand, it sounds when I first think of it, like, Ooh, wow, that sounds like an impressive milestone. But then you're like, is it, is it something to be proud of? I don't know about proud. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I've lived in the exact same place from the time that I was 27 to now that I'm 37. Hmm. So but it's you, a great place. It is a great place. It's got enough room. It's not like you live in a studio. No, no. It's got plenty of room. It's a fantastic location. We're very happy about the apartment. I, 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 I swear I didn't just bring this up to get Rebecca to talk about how nice the place is. Um, but I do I do know it's nice. I mean, it could be nicer. but it could. <laughs> uh, There is that odor. But uh, odor <laughs> aside, and also the fact that just today there was some sort of like water pipe break uh, up on the top floor of the building. But that, lucky no damage. No, no, no damage at all. <laughs> um, So there was that. And then literally the morning after. So, yeah, so we have this big like 10th anniversary um, party. Have people over to celebrate our achievement, question mark. <laughs> and then the next morning I had to go to Toronto for a week. Mm. Um, um, but not for Tifting. No, you went to go celebrate the Raptors' victorious <laughs> win in the NBA championship. Guys, listen, apparently sports had happened. Oh, and it happened. Sports happened. And I wound up going to Toronto um, the day before the victory celebration um, for the Raptors' first NBA win, which is the first NBA win for Canada ever. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Definitely. Uh, wait, so they won on what? Oh, so it was a couple days after they actually won that the parade happened. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because I was I, I definitely saw the parade. And let me tell you, Canada was not ready for the level of feverish excitement that comes with winning a major prize. Mm-hmm. It's just new to them. They just don't have that kind of thing. I mean, it was new to Cleveland when we did it. Exactly. Like four years ago. And how did Cleveland handle it? Uh, very well, but it was, um, I mean, I didn't go, unfortunately. Biggest regret of my life. Mm. Um, jam-packed. Mm-hmm. How did Canada, I mean, I know there was a shooting. Well, you sure. Um, but, you know. There was, there was a small, a small shooting. Small. Um, I don't think anyone died. Uh, but I think that, you know, overall, it just felt like the vibe in Toronto was that people were almost frightened of how much excitement there was. It's just not oh, the Cana- mm-hmm. it's not the Canadian way. Mm. Um, so I was my the office building I was working from um, was kind of overlooking the whole thing. Oh, cool! And um, and I kept going downstairs into the uh, lobby level to get like coffee or food, and then I would come back up to the floor that my office was on, and people would be like, "Did you did you just go down there?" <laughs> I'm like, "Uh huh." And they were like, oh, was it, was it, was it, was it crazy? <laughs> it's like, it was, yeah. And then there were more people than usual. And they're like, oh my God. So it was just, there was just a real lack of awareness of like, what does one do when there is a big celebration? You know, what's really strange in this story is that you actually do know because in the 10 years since you've been here the giants won like three or four times and then the yeah. warriors have won what four times well, I mean, five I, times i told them four. i was like yeah i'm like listen you know i i understand why you hesitate to to leave the safety of this office because you know in san francisco whether we win or lose we still burn the place down yeah we do uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I certainly um, am expecting the worst. Mm-hmm. I saw a man surfing the 33. Best day of his life. I saw a baby being lifted over a fire like Lion King. <laughs> it was 
so wild. It was a fire on the street from a burning couch, and he lifted the baby over. I, that just came back to me. That was the first time the Giants won, like in that that last run that they had. So it was like what twenty eleven or something. Did you almost get emotional, but then remember it was a human baby and not a a baby lion? Yes. Hmm. Also, I got your invite to see the Lion King, and I don't know if I can do it. I mean, I offered to be clear. So, guys, we we did receive our invitation to see a press screening of the Lion King, the new Lion King. And I've offered Rebecca an ambulance service um, mm-hmm. to be just ready, just just engine running outside, door open, keys in the ignition at all times for her. But she still is cautious. And I get why. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know this is like the biggest question probably you've ever faced as long as we've been doing this. Like, are you ready to watch The Lion King live no. action? No. 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 I saw that the they had released the Beyonce. Oh, um, yeah. Can you feel the love tonight? Yeah. I, did you listen to it? No. I can't. No, I did not. I want to be surprised. I want to be fresh when I watch the movie. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I was going to listen to it, but that's actually a better idea. Just go with that defense. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that, not that you're so fragile, uh, right? But that you want to preserve the experience of the film. Exactly. You mm-hmm. know me. Mm-hmm. Real purist. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the first full day I was in Toronto this yes. time, and uh, even though I was there for work, I still um, saw no fewer than four movies in theaters over the course of just five days. Wow, what did you see? Uh, well, uh, two of them we'll be talking about mm. on our next episode. One of them, which was Midsummer, and one of which was the new 4K restoration of Paris is Burning. Mm. Um, and then the other two, um, one was a, a film that came out earlier this year from A24 called The Souvenir. Uh, which is written and directed by Joanna Hogg and stars um, Tilda Swinton and her daughter, whose name is Honor Swinton. Uh, if I must, it's a, it is a it's a sort of a coming of age remembrance film. It's very it's nice, it's powerful. Um, and then I also saw a film called uh, Mouthpiece, um, directed by Patricia Rosema. Uh, which is about it's it it is a film adaptation of this um, theatrical play in which two women play one character simultaneously uh, who is processing the recent death of her mother. Uh, so real crack em up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this, for I saw those two movies back to back over two consecutive nights, The Souvenir and Mouthpiece, both of which are directed by women mm-hmm. and both of which feature gratuitous full body male nudity. Mm, so both of these were made for you by you. Uh, well, they were made by women. That's what I'm saying. Mm. That's why you guys wonder mm. why I'm always advocating for female directors. Because you need get, the female gaze. I'm going to get more wang out of it. And although there's also some, there's there's a pretty uh, generous wang shot in Midsummer as well. And that is male directed. Mm. So mm-hmm. there's a, and it, that one, that one spoke to me more because that character was with us the whole time. And then the whole time I was thinking, God, he's hot. And then we get a, a we get some payoff. You did, um, You thought he was hot, huh? Oh, yeah. Poor man's uh, uh, Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that just makes him hotter. Okay, fair. Um, you love a good Chris, discount. If he's Chris Pratt without the Christian Schwarzenegger bride, then Ooh. I'm here for it. Yeah, all right. So uh, anyway, uh, Toronto always equals movies for me, whether I'm there for movies or not. Uh, it was a fine, fine time. And now I am back here in your loving arms. Rebecca, what's up with you? Jason. I couldn't be more excited right now. I feel like it's Christmas Eve. Oh. Actually, Christmas Eve Eve. Um, tomorrow, well, today is the first, is the kickoff show of Carly Rae Jepsen's dedicated tour. Oh. The first show is tonight in Anaheim, and tomorrow it will be here in San Francisco at the Bill Graham Auditorium, and I could not be more excited. Oh, my God. This is so cute to me because I feel like you don't go out to many like dance pop concerts. Uh, no, I think the last one I went to was when I saw Carly Rae Jepsen at the Warfield about four years ago. <laughs> so she is your gateway drug. She's like your one and only. She's your only like dance. There's pop no diva. drug like her. <laughs> if I sh- if I can. I mean, you 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 are. It's a, it's a song off her new her new album. I thought so. Okay, I'm like that yeah. sounds familiar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Wow. I mean, so what is it? I know we, we've talked about it previously when I was on my rampage of saying how I hate all things about how <laughs> even even the charms of Carly Rae Jepsen elude me. Um, what is it about her that somehow cuts through maybe any resistance or indifference you have to the pop genre um, and just turns you into a screaming fangirl? 
I feel like we talked a little bit about this when we when you were um, shitting on everything. Sure. And uh, and I, I we need to find a way to better like share links and things when we talk about them on the show because <laughs> there is this uh, music critic who wrote this really good um, I think it was an article now it's in his book um, and he really captures something about her that I didn't even realize was the thing until I read it and it's that like so call me maybe mm-hmm. it would be the gateway to the gateway sure and um, that's the first taste you get for free <laughs> which is not the name of her new single no no, no. Um, that's my other song and the <laughs> and that's coming out right after this one uh, Jason's single is dropping is dropping right after this episode mm-hmm. um, it's it's a the song so I, someone I knew at the time uh, I asked them if they liked the song and they said they liked the way that song made everybody happy Mm. And I was like, that's a really good observation. The song made me very happy. And all of her, um, you know, uh, hits after that have also just made me feel really mm. happy. I think she really, like, um, has the pop formula down perfectly. Uh, the new album is, like, a little more interesting and a little more, uh, um, not weird. It's just a little more interesting. And what this critic had wrote is that she is different than people like Beyonce and Taylor Swift in when you think about, like, the pop group because she doesn't have that... Um, swagger she doesn't have the attitude of like mm. um like i'm on i'm on top of things um i i'm sassy i've got this it's a very right. like um and you're going to bring up robin well, she's because you did last time she's plucky she is plucky she is also canadian mm. um but she's also like kind of awkward and her songs are kind of they have like a, a desperate tone more than like a confident oh, right. tone to them this is starting to come back to me a little bit uh-huh yeah then you I brought up I, robin i think i'm like and, and once again i do want to bring up robin um <laughs> i mean i didn't remember because i was like rebecca tell me in your own words stop loosely paraphrasing some article you read years ago <laughs> what does she mean to you um first of all it wasn't years ago but second of all i mean i think that's it like i i've i'm not usually a fan of like yeah a super confident swagger um i she's you, you know find her relatable like, he, yes <laughs> <laughs> and you find the others threatening um yeah no i mean i feel like that they're covering up for something i find her <laughs> honest and vulnerable and you know i just like it's like you know call me maybe um, sure, it's right there. The insecurity is right there. Right like, there. Not if she can't even seal the deal with saying "call me." No. She has to be like, mm, maybe, maybe if you, if you want. Right. I mean, if you think if it'd it's be not fun, too much trouble. Right. Yeah. Like if you're cool with the idea. Like I don't. Maybe you. If you. Yeah. See, it's funny you say like that song made people happy because I thought we were all in agreement that that song. It was actually it was a long it was a long game with that song because when it first came out, it was like mocked almost like it was Rebecca Black's Friday. It was like by you, uh huh. No, not just by me. Uh, it was like it, everyone. It just felt so like so insanely cheerful, um, mm. and so like like almost insidiously catchy, mm. and it, from a new artist, it just felt like okay, this is like this is a pop nightmare. Um, but then it was like there was like a long game where people were gradually won over by. It. They're like, okay, so maybe this isn't like one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Maybe this is great and mm. then people gradually warm to it and then we're like oh, okay so she's and she's also like had other songs in the album to back it up mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. she kind of became a more left of center pop artist and pitchfork embraces her and all that stuff i think that we talk about this with, with movies sometimes like at the end of the day when you're tr- when you when you when you think about where you're going to land on something the the authenticity and sincerity comes through and that often ends up being like the trigger where you're like, okay, I'm on, I'm on the fence and this is kind of like other things and I could not trust it, but there's some, there's something about her that mm. makes it trustworthy and authentic and it doesn't feel cheap. Um, some of her videos are like so shitty, um, but <laughs> well, it's fine. Like I, you're like, my videos are shitty. Uh, yeah. We're all, everyone's videos are shitty. I mean, to be honest, Taylor Swift's videos are fucking shit. Um, and it, it just like going back and watching Taylor Swift after, after like really like, you know, fully ingesting so much so much Carly Rae it, mm-hmm. it's like it makes Taylor Swift seem so produced in a way that is like there are 10,000 people who have like signed off on edits of this video mm-hmm. and what color scheme they're going to use and um, and and not in a Beyonce way where that's still amazing right and it's still like fresh and new and authentic sure um, it, it just, just feels overly overwrought mm-hmm. yeah prefab but well but then again Carly Rae Jepsen never put out a song called I Do Poppers 
trans. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, bitch. Uh, we are referring to oh the God. wonderful imaginary track list that the brilliant Matt Rogers came up with for the new Taylor Swift album, uh, featuring such tracks as Gay Rights, featuring <laughs> Ann Dowd. <laughs> and the final song, uh, which is just called Carly, period. <laughs> Uh, uh, as yeah. in Carly Claus. Carly Claus, mm-hmm. not Carly Ray. So that's it. I don't want to hear anything else you have to say about it. That's do fine. not um Did do not see, rain in my parade. Do you see um when Carly Ray played Frenchie in Greece live? I did not. I did not. You call yourself a fan. I know. I do. I did see I do. that. I did watch that. I ju- I just <laughs> took a look. I was getting ready for tomorrow and I took a look at the online store, the merch store. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> It's a, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, do is this for me? Am I this? I I don't know who is this. <laughs> I I feel like I thought about buying more stuff from Kanye West's store. Oh, yeah. I thought about buying more stuff. I've never seen a whole merch like page where I'm like, this is all just kind of off. <laughs> There's a sweatshirt that looks like it's from Zazzle. Like, oh no. It's, I, I can great. I can relate to that because one of the things I did when I was in Toronto was I went to go see Jenny Lewis um, open mm. for Death Cab for Cutie, and um, to be clear, I was seeing Jenny. And, um, and <laughs> to be her, clear, this was this year. This <laughs> and Jenny's merch for her current tour for On the Line, um, it, said, it looks like Grateful Dead merch. Oh God! <laughs> and I just I just can't fuck with it. No. She was wearing it on stage during the set. Like it's like she, it's like all these sweatshirts and t-shirts with like an illustration of a skull with like a joint sticking out of the mouth and like a loose like strain of flowers across it. I'm oh like, yeah, that's grateful fucking dead merch if I've ever seen it. Well, like, she's doing that whole wheat thing. I know, which I which alienates me. Mm. Um, she even does a new reggae version of the Voyager, the title track from her last album. That I need to hear. So she's leaning hard into yeah. the pot. Uh, wow. And I am just trying to hold on for the ride because that's not my scene, but I know it's hers. I can't act surprised. It's a funny thing. Now, I want to be, well, I guess um, she doesn't listen anyway. I was like, I'm going to tread lightly on this Jenny Lewis topic. Right. But like, it's <laughs> well, a you weird... already would have lost Heidi um, <laughs> by all your Taylor Swift bashing, if it's that's what you're a, worried about. A, a, a weird time in one's life to start like getting into weed as like a, your branding you know i, I mean feel i feel like, like jenny's i think jenny's always been a pothead um sure but she's you know um with this album it's coming out after the end of her like 13 year relationship with jonathan rice it's mm. coming out after the death of both of her parents and so i think and she's like in her early 40s and i think she's just in a fuck it period mm-hmm. um she's becoming she's really leaning into her hedonism right mm. now um she's talking about hookups she's talking about weed um she is everyone's um embarrassing drunk aunt so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I'm 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 down with it myself. But yeah, I mean, it, I think I think it's just that it's the branding part that makes it weird. Yeah, it's putting it on your merch that yeah. makes it weird. Yeah, it is. I mean, merch. I I don't know how often I see merch. I'm just like, oh, perfect. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like more yeah. often than not, it's like, oh. It's also it's like now it's legal. Now you put it on your merch and and that like I don't it, it like it's been done by so many like. Yeah. real like pothead artists over the years where this it yeah. feels weird see this comes right back to you being a purist uh <sighs> so but no, you well. know me uh well i can't wait for your review of the carly ray jepson concert ah, when, we tape our, when we tape our next episode so guys uh just ah, wait just if i don't wait. dance my face off i'm gonna come here just like a just, skull just flapping my teeth and then i'll just put a little joint in your mouth ah. and throw some flower strain on you and sell you a jenny lewis shirt <laughs> Shall we talk about movies? Let's do it. Uh, The first movie of this week is Wild Rose, which is the pick of the week. Fresh out of prison, a Scottish woman juggles her job and two children while pursuing her dream of becoming a country music star. She soon gets her chance when she travels to Nashville on a life-changing journey to discover her true voice. Speaking of Jenny Lewis. (laughs) That, yes. Wow, I didn't even think that was going to start there. Well played. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, so the lead actress of this movie, who we'll be talking about extensively in this review, is named Jessie Buckley. She is relatively new as an actress. This should be a star-making role for her, and it seems like it might be. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty big push happening around her. And she's kind of an unbreakable Jenny Lewis. Yeah, she she looks, um, she is styled in this movie, uh, hair-wise at least, almost exactly like Jenny Lewis, mm-hmm. which I mean, I guess it doesn't take much. It's just like long red hair with bangs. Yep. 
and like a pale complexion. And we know a bunch in- of those people. Instant Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, so she styled like Jenny if Jenny were dressing like sort of like a early 90s Nashville streetwalker. <laughs> that is the exact aesthetic of a character of Rose Lynn Harlan. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, as Rebecca mentioned, is a, a Scottish woman who she has just gotten out of jail as the film begins. She has mm-hmm. served a 12-month bid on a drug charge. Uh, she gets out of jail and is very eager to get back to her life, uh, part of which is leading the house band at the Glasgow Grand Ole Opry, <laughs> which apparently is a real place. Is it really? Yeah. I saw Jesse Buckley on Colbert the other night. Colbert, by the way, Stephen Colbert called um, Wild Rose his favorite movie of the year so far. Oh, wow. He hasn't seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco. <laughs> apparently not. Wow. Um, although I will, I will not to jump ahead. Uh Wild Rose is also one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Oh, interesting. Um, this was one of the ones I saw this back in April at SF Film Festival. And um, and it was, yeah, I was like, thank God that, that this was mm. not not on the same level of Last Black Man in San Francisco. But but it, it broke through my my malaise and mm. lifted me up. And I was like, oh, I love this. Yeah, I thought you might. Um, <laughs> I saw it was a pick of the week because I come in in a solid. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's that. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so this is, uh, it's funny because this is a movie that many would call crowd pleasing, uh, sort of uplifting, feel good. Mm. Um, and it definitely has, it hits those notes and generally, you know, I'm allergic to that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You break out in hives and blow up like a balloon. I sure do. Um, and not just cause I'm off keto, <laughs> but with this, it balances out those uplifting notes with with enough like gritty kitchen sink naturalism, and a and a and a wicked sense of humor, and some humor, and some humor while it's at it, as well as uh, you know I mean I I of course I love a story about uh, I love a dramatic story focused on a, an unpredictable loose cannon woman, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Rosalind is that uh, so as she's getting out of jail, uh, we find out that she has two young children who I believe are eight and five years old. They've been living with her mother while she's been away. Mother is played by Julie Walters, um, just doing what she does best. And uh, but Rosalind, she had the kids very young. She's only, I believe, she's meant to be twenty-three. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of come into the story thinking they're her siblings. I I did right. Oh, okay. Like, and then you know, then it's like uh, you know, a couple beats in. Yeah. To her get because it starts with her leaving jail. Yeah. Um, which I I thought really set not to like cut back for a second, but mm-hmm. um, to cut back for a second, um. That part set the movie off on a, on a really good foot um, because I felt like sh- she comes out like right out of the gate, very spunky. Right. And like her relationship with everybody in there is mm-hmm. like kind of kind of makes you understand that she's kind of like she's good and likable. Um, right. And everyone's like, don't come back. Right. Um, but like in a like a loving way. Yeah, affectionate. Yeah. That or I'm just like uh, infantilizing Scotland. <laughs> like oh, everything's a small town where they're all just sweet to each other. And then when you find out she's on drug charges, I was like, <laughs> like oh, oh, wow. Oh, huh. oh, oh, oh. All right. Well, I guess that's a thing. Yeah. And then she kind of like has this boyfriend that's like a, it kind of gave me like a Amy Winehouse vibe. Yeah. They're like rockabilly Blake, kind of thing. Very Blake Field or Civil. Blake, yeah. Blake incarcerated. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, when she goes back to her family, I, I think I definitely got the vibe because she's not very close with her kids. No. It's definitely something she's keeping at arm's length in order to chase her dream. Yeah. I yes. thought they were her siblings. Yes. Um, and, uh, and this movie, it does. Yeah. It has some surprises. I feel like there's a few times where it zigs when you think it's going to zag. Um, I feel like, you know, usually in these kinds of narratives, the, um, the narrator, uh, the, the protagonist rather, um, will hit a few tough breaks, uh, right away. But then things, things will gradually be moved from their path and they just sort of like ride to victory. Mm-hmm. But in this, she actually gets a few easy breaks early on, mm-hmm. um, things involving her ankle monitor, uh, involving um, one of the key relationships she has in the film is with a woman uh, whose house she cleans, a woman played by Sophie Okonedo, who uh, was an Oscar nominee for the film Hotel Rwanda, mm. um, like 10 years ago or so. Uh, so this woman is very wealthy, well-to-do British woman, um, and Rosalind is her house cleaner, or I, they keep calling her like daily woman. Daily yeah, woman. I don't know what that is. Um, must be some Scottish thing. And, um, we can ask Belle and Sebastian this this summer. We can, we can in just a few weeks. Uh, I guess just a little over a month. Oh my God! Isn't that nuts? 
Uh, yeah, should we tell everyone we're going on vacation? Oh, everybody knows. Never mind. <laughs> yes, we're going on a binge cruise. We, we could probably just try to rebrand it. We're like, yes, the binge is having its first cruise. <laughs> <laughs> it has a great With lineup. Stars. <laughs> With guest stars. <laughs> Bill and Sebastian, Yoda Tango. Um, so the uh, this this woman who is employing Roseland to clean her house gradually becomes a, her benefactor. Uh, because she and her children repeatedly sort of like walk into the house while Rosalind is walking around vacuuming and then just belting out country music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosalind is a um, country super fan. She wants to move to Nashville and become a country singer songwriter. Um, it is her passion. And, you know, in, in Scotland, that sound, that's an odd genre to, mm. to drop in on and make your main focus. So it kind of makes her unique uh, in a way. But she doesn't really know what to do with that. So her employer slash benefactor kind of finds ways to help her out. But then there are a series of hard knocks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and even though I feel like there's a lot of familiar beats, I feel like that doesn't make them any less affecting. Mm-hmm. And some are not familiar, I think. Um, yeah. There are things, that, uh, hurdles you think that are cleared right. that, that come back to haunt her, which I thought was kind of, it, it measured the weight of like finding out what she was in trouble for you know we were kind of mm-hmm. like oh god drugs uh um, right. and it, it kind of i don't know makes that more realistic I think. yeah there's even scenes where like you think you know which conflict is about to be introduced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then it it pulls a switcheroo on you and you're like oh fuck mm-hmm. that's that's i thought it was gonna be this thing and then she even jokes about it being this thing and it's not this thing it's, it's more zaggy it's a, it's a much more it's a much deeper gut punch mm-hmm. yeah uh so but uh it, i think one other concern that one could reasonably have with this movie is that it almost feels a little conservative with its values uh in the sense that it's very much about like how she needs to take responsibility uh for the fact that she has kids and mm-hmm. she can't just ignore them. And, uh, you know, that old conservative viewpoint that you should not ignore <laughs> your children. And, um, and you know, and there's long been a double standard, you know, along gender lines around, especially with musicians. You know, it's, it's, it's we forgive and, and accept and expect the Mick Jaggers of the world to have, like, illegitimate children in every port um, mm-hmm. with a variety of women and to not be, have a role in their lives. But, you know, we are always much harder on mothers uh, who are not present in their children's lives. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I feel heard. I think I think in this case, I will disagree because it's not it's like it's, it's not a situation where she's like leaving them with a father who can who and, and like choosing to to fulfill a career. It's like she like left them with her mother and it's so like they're, they're there. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're leavable. Well, yes, but there's also very much a narrative that, like, she has not been a good mother and that they are, the children are distant and chilly to her. Her mother is disappointed in her. Sure, I, her she's constantly disappointing her mother in new ways. And, and the kids, and then she'll start to, like, get somewhere with the kids, and then she starts to chuck them again the second that things start to go in her uh, direction career-wise. I think you're forgetting about the heroine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so but the heroine doesn't really play a role in the in the day to day of uh, of the movie. Like I mean, the, it, she she had a past she had a past um the yeah the drug charge she went to jail for was was heroin related, and it was like a smuggling. It wasn't like she wasn't in there for using, but uh but yeah I don't think that we're meant to think that she's secretly doing heroin throughout sure, the movie. I mean sure, but I still think that going to jail for twelve months for smuggling heroin is definitely a decision that puts a wedge between you <laughs> you and your children. <laughs> no, no, it does. Um, but th- there is like it is objectively in the story though that she starts to like gain um, ground with her children mm-hmm, and starts mm-hmm. to like earn their trust again and then starts to break it again um, yeah. as soon as she starts to um, you know as soon as she starts to get momentum going in her career mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like I'm not saying that I think the movie actually does this I just want to acknowledge that I think that it starts to feel a little dangerously close to it saying she needs to choose between her dreams and her family mm-hmm and um, the thing that's great about it is the way that it finds um, sort of a compromise in that. Like, it's really about mm-hmm. maturing mm-hmm. and growing up and, um, and you know, learning about how you don't need to be anywhere other than where you are to, mm. to be the fullest version of yourself. Just got to lean in. Lean. You can have it all, ladies. You sure can. Uh, 
and uh yeah so i think that you know it has it has great lessons and uh and it's a little it's a little, little dash of cheese here and there mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. there's a final show-stopping song um that is uh written by uh mary steenburgen what <laughs> yes <laughs> is that what i thought yeah, you were gonna say? i thought you were gonna say mary shape and carpenter there's a final song called glasgow no place like home that uh, is co-written by Mary Steenburgen. Um, and I and Scott was looking this up because I had heard that she was writing songs now. Apparently she had some sort of like, this is like one of those insane stories that you're like, that can't be true. But she had like a surgery or something some oh years God. ago. Yes. And then she came out of it and suddenly she can't stop writing songs. Oh, that's terrifying actually. But okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard about Ravel's Bolero? What about it? This like sort of de- like... Um, this, um, so help me God, if this ties back to Pizza Rat in any way. <laughs> What? <laughs> or wait, no, Pizza Gate. <laughs> I was like, what? What you? Well, I'm like, what YouTube conspiracy nightmare are you going to tie Ravel's Bolero back to? This is nothing to do with Pizza Gate or Pizza Rat. <laughs> oh, I fucking wish it did now. Um, no, there's like a there's a like a degenerative brain disease, like a like an uh, Alzheimer's type um, situation that that causes people to. Um, continue to write music and or oh. like perform a, a sort of a repetitive oh, task that's creative you know this is like one of those weird things where you like wake up and suddenly you speak a different language um where like yeah mary steenburgen suddenly is like a songwriter and she's like, like beto <laughs> <laughs> and she's like uh she has like representation now as like a songwriter and she's, wow, she's like a nashville it. songwriter and so i feel like that's really going to help this movie stay in the awards conversation as well like i think it's going to be in the, uh, the conversation for jesse buckley for lead actress and for original song for especially the fact that there's an Oscar winning actress who suddenly writes songs who co-wrote it. Yeah. Um, but uh, there is. So, yeah. So I feel like the movie has, you know, it has great. It's weird for me to say, like, yeah, it's good lessons. But I think it does. <laughs> it, it reminds me of um, that Adam Sandler SNL sketch wow. from recently. The travel, the traveling sketch where they oh. were like, <laughs> just know if you go to Italy. <laughs> You're I just, love that. You're sketch. just going to be you in Italy. <laughs> what is it like if you if you don't if you don't like your right. partner at home? Right. You're not going to like them in Italy. <laughs> that it, was a really good. That sketch. was one of like the wisest sketches <laughs> I've ever seen. Who knew it'd be on an Am Sandler episode? But <laughs> so I feel like this movie ties into a bit of that. Um, but it, uh, it also doesn't give you like the full wish fulfillment in the end. I think it gives you like a really like, muted, nuanced kind of taste of like her doing this thing she thinks she wants to do. This is what brings me back to that uh, last black man in San Francisco mm. mentality where it's like you have your idea of success and this life and this thing you want to do in this dream that is like so seemingly so unattainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you like put it all there. And this whole time she's not she doesn't practice with her band. She doesn't write new music. She, all she does is sing covers. Right. And but she wants to be a star in Nashville. And if she like took some time and like really like honed her talent and like did some hard work and wrote some songs of her own, mm-hmm. um, which she ends up doing at the end, like going about it the right way instead of trying to skip to the top with this like nonsense dream idea, mm-hmm. um, it ends up working out. And the the soundtrack this movie, they have had Jesse Buckley do like seventeen or eighteen different studio versions of the oh, songs wow. in this movie, and it's mainly covers. And they have put so much early '90s Winona Judd on there. I am living. <laughs> they have her. Did do you bon- buy it on vinyl yet? I mean, they have it on vinyl. Um, they have her do like Bonnie Raitt's "Angel from Montgomery." They have her do Emmylou Harris's um, uh, "Boulder to Burning- Birmingham." There are so many classic songs. Even like they use Trisha Yearwood's "Wrong Side of Memphis" right at the beginning of this movie, and I almost fell out of my seat. <laughs> so I, I do. I am. I am a country slash Americana fan. Mm-hmm. So and this, and this movie did make me go out and buy a lot more of it. But at the top of this review, I said we were going to talk a lot about Jesse Buckley, and I feel like we actually haven't at all. Mm. This is such. This performance is such an event. This is like one of those mm. performances that just makes you sit up and take notice and you're like, who is that? Get out of here, Sir Ronan. You're gone. You're done. You're muff cabbage. What? Sorry. Um, and Jesse Buckley, this is not her first film. She was in a buzzy indie um, last year called Beast. And she is currently, she has a supporting role on HBO's Chernobyl show. Oh. Yes. Hmm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, this is just one of those performances where you're like, oh, fuck. Like, okay, this this woman is a movie star now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have her around for a while. Yep. And she is very likely going to be in year-end awards conversations for this movie. It's such soul, such grit. And her voice her voice is amazing. Isn't her voice good? <laughs> yes, it's very good. It's a very good voice. I like it. Anyway, I liked it a lot. 
<laughs> it's got grit to it. It's got soul. Mm-hmm. She's just she's just fantastic. I feel like she has the the breakout star uh, vibe and emotion of Saoirse Ronan, and but then she comes in at a lower price point than an Amy Adams. I feel like she can fill in a lot of a lot of parts in Hollywood. Well, but I feel like she also has a lot more. Um, I feel like she's a lot more kind of gutsiness than, mm. than either of them. Like I feel like Sarah, like they're obviously they're brilliant actresses. I feel like she's more of a she's more of a scrapper mm. uh, than mm. either of them. Like she's she's playing a character that I couldn't imagine. I guess Amy Adams played a somewhat similar character to this in The Fighter. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say yeah. yeah, there's just a lot of grit um, and soul to her performance, and I it's it's yeah, I I love this movie. You're binging it. Binge it. Um, I, I guess it's uh, I'm going to give it like a, a binge minus consume right. plus um, it is rated R for language throughout some sexuality and brief drug material movie number two Diamantino Diamantino the world's premier soccer star loses his special touch and ends his career in disgrace searching for a new purpose the international icon sets out on a delirious odyssey where he confronts neo-fascism the refugee crisis Genetic modification and the hunt for the source of genius. Uh, man, is this movie something else? It sure is. I um, I have I have to get this off off my chest. Okay. Um, th- this actor, do you know his name? Uh, no, I don't. But he's basically playing Cristiano Ronaldo, and he looks just like him. Okay. Well, there goes my whole speech. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say Cristiano Ronaldo, but you're right. But, like, they picked a man in the world who looks like a pro- professional soccer player every step of the way. Yeah. In the uniform, the haircut, his chiseled face when he's mm-hmm. wearing regular clothes. He couldn't look more like a professional soccer player, which is, like, something I wouldn't think is, like, hard. I would normally say is, like, oh, that must not that's be hard to find someone who... But it is freakish. It truly is. I mean, he, yeah, he could be Cristiano Ronaldo's double. And um, and I, I saw something when I was researching briefly about this actor that he did like extensive physical training. He did um, yeah. to yeah he didn't just show up looking like that. So I think that you know we have here an actor who um, did yeah months and months of um, of working out and of like no carb eating and um, you know and then I think probably was bronzed within an inch of his life and given that Ronaldo haircut and and I didn't even realize like I was watching it thinking like okay like seems like this is meant to be Cristiano Ronaldo and I didn't even realize so this movie is Portuguese mm-hmm. and I, I I didn't realize Ronaldo was also Portuguese mm, his name is uh, Carlotto Cota yeah there we go mm-hmm. um, he is very handsome outside of um, this look but it's very different ah yeah this is he looks like that guy from Queer Eye oh yeah he looks like Anthony Porosky a yeah. little bit yeah god yeah he looks a lot yeah softer more like Euro in these pictures than mm-hmm. Than the very uh, the specific brand of of uh, of footballer sexuality mm-hmm. that uh, that comes through in this movie. Um, so yeah, this movie is wild, and I will say I liked it. Ooh, <laughs> did you not like it? No. Oh no. Well, let me let me preface it with this though. Um, this movie um, it won a Critics Week prize at Cannes, but not only that, it also won the Grand Jury Prize in a category I didn't realize they had, which is the Palm Dog. Because you know the ultimate grand prize they have is the Palm Door, uh-huh, but they uh-huh. also give out the Palm Dog for canine performances. Oh, but I feel like they should have won the whatever the Cat Award is because there's a very cute cat. There is a very cute cat, and they might not have a Cat Award, which is Erasure. Wow. Um, but uh, so so uh, so we have this character, um, this Ronaldo character, who is just really a, just a sweet, simple, dumb man. Um, and he is the world's most famous footballer. And uh, and whenever he's out there on the field, just living it up and feeling his best life, he imagines himself running through cl- uh, pink clouds, surrounded by enormous Pekingese dogs. And that is a recurring visual motif we get um, throughout this film. And it is it is it is these it is these many dogs, these many enormous mm. um, Pekingese dogs that won the Palm Dog. Mm. At Cannes Film Festival, there is one toward the end that seems like it's registering like a ball hovering mm-hmm. near it. So I did think that that dog That's did the one outstanding work. Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> it's great. It's good. It's, it's you know it's going to be in that dog's reel now for sure. 
But uh, okay, so oh wow, I don't even know where to start. This movie is so wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, to start where I started before. This movie is very sad. Do you agree? Um, is this because of the chasing Amy direction it goes in? I thought it was sad before it even got to that point. I see. That's where it started to become. That's uh, where you started to hate it. That's yeah. That's where it becomes uh, intolerable. <laughs> Um, you know, we, we have this character and, um, maybe like, you know, right out of the gate because of, you know, soccer culture and how mm-hmm. rich he is and how handsome he is. And, um, you know, like the machismo involved in that world, you're kind of primed to not like him. Um, and then you find out how sweet he is mm-hmm. and then you find out he has two twin abusive sisters mm-hmm. and, uh, and that his father is very sweet and he loves his father mm-hmm. completely. Right. It takes a weird turn immediately. Mm-hmm. Do we go for the whole thing? What do we even? Where where would even be a spoiler here? I don't know where to stop. Yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah, I feel like we can we can get. I feel like describing it doesn't make it any less kind of surprising when you're watching it. I don't know. I think I knew up until I knew about the twist involving the way that the investigators um, sort of like um, implant themselves in his life. Mm. I didn't know about the larger thing he's being groomed for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, so in the in the first in the first part of the movie, you know, he's uh, he's getting ready for. Uh, this is the second scene. He's getting ready for the World Cup, mm-hmm. and he's on this yacht of his, and this is where you, you meet his family, and um, you they're in the Mediterranean, and all of a sudden they come up. Uh, upon this raft um, with refugees in it and he doesn't mm. understand what they are and his father mm. has to explain it and this like what what starts off as this like fancy luxurious yacht drink beautiful mm. people time turns right. into this like them pulling these refugees up onto their yacht and helping mm. um, which that event then completely devastates his ability to see puppies in pink clouds when he has to take this um, right special shot in the world cup i don't know what it's called penalty yeah, kick. penalty kick okay okay <laughs> chill out pele um and now he is confronted with this reality of of things he didn't understand before and it's that this imagery of of this woman and her and her dead child replace that and he he completely he completely fails when he has to make this point yes yeah, which I mean, I, I think, you know, watching this movie when we're watching it, um, as we're taping this, we are two days um, removed from the day on which the photo of the of the man and his young daughter who had died while crossing the Rio Grande mm-hmm. River um, had, um, you know, sort of caught the eyes of the world. So uh, so watching it, watching the way that this movie addresses, um, you know, the refugee crisis, the way that it's manifested in Europe ongoing in Europe and uh, you know and that also involves um, you know a parent who's lost a child uh, while attempting to um, you know to start over to start over and to flee and to find asylum um, you know I feel like this movie is respectful toward it like I don't think the movie is lifting is making light of the refugee crisis I no. think it's it's making light of this very entitled but very dumb man who up until that literally washes onto his boat did not know that there mm-hmm. was a refugee crisis. Yeah, I don't even think he understood what the word meant. No, um, and uh, so then suddenly he has like this big heart for refugees, um, or you know, Fujis as he keeps calling them. Um, um, yeah, I don't think that it disrespects the topic at all. I think it's a really interesting way to explore the topic and mm-hmm. and the politics that end up becoming a part of the story as well. Yes, it's just that I think that this scene, two beats in, is already sets a tone that this movie is very sad because it starts yeah. off so silly and right. so crazy. Right, there's there's gravity that's introduced, and then he's pulled down, and then he becomes a national laughing stock because mm-hmm. he fails um, to win the World Cup with his penalty kick. And uh, and then as he's spiraling, um, he goes on TV and grants an interview uh, in which he tearfully expresses uh, his wish. It's funny that in that. So, of course, I, you know, I don't speak uh, uh, Portuguese. And so I but there's somehow you can tell when listening to him speak just through the way he's speaking that we're meant to understand. Oh, he's talking in dumb voice. <laughs> he like you can just see he's speaking he speaks like very kind of slowly yeah in this very kind of like yeah like it, you're like okay he's talking in dumb voice so even though i don't speak the language i can un- infer the personality and humor that's supposed to come through in the way that he speaks 
And uh, so, yeah, he goes on TV and says he wants to adopt a Fuji of his own. And um, and I think we're meant to understand that he just doesn't quite understand the word. He's like not referring to like the Fuji's uh, or, yeah, trying, or trying to be like street about it. I couldn't quite tell if it because, you know, we watched obviously with closed caption and, and right. it, I kept saying, you know, Fuji's in quotes. Right. And I couldn't tell if like maybe there maybe there is a word in Portuguese that right. is like slang that is acceptable or if he just yeah. didn't completely it, failed. To it get seemed like the, the journalist interviewing him was like looking at him like, what is the, mm. what do you What do you think you're saying? Because there's other times throughout the movie where he like tries and fails to like say a word that he's just learned. Mm hmm. Oh. Um. Okay, can we just okay? Quick gut check. How much of this your review of this movie is based on the way he looks and how cute he is? Oh no, very little. Very little. Really? Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, because I mean, he has that. The character himself is so sexless. Um, you know that even though he is, a, you know, a very handsome man, there is no like sexuality to the performance at all. Hmm. Um, you know, he's a very childlike uh, person. Hmm. And so, so to me, it didn't really register um, as like, yeah, obviously he's very good looking and he is, you know, frequently shirtless or in his underwear. He does full nudity toward the end of the film, um, although his body has taken his change uh, <laughs> by by then. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, it's nothing to do. I'm not I'm not going to say nice things about the movie because the guy's good looking. OK. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so there happens to be an investigation into him. Um, he is believed to be involved in money laundering. And um, and so there uh, there are two women who happen to be a couple who uh, are part of this investigation. And then one of them decides to go undercover and infiltrate um, his rich palatial life um, by <laughs> disguising herself as uh, as a as an underage uh, refugee boy. Already. <laughs> this is where things break down. This is where the, the and I still don't think it doesn't feel disrespectful, but this mm -hmm. is where it. it See, I think the movie's this a farce. Like, I think thing. I think it's a farce. Like, I think that like I never just when that refugee scene was, I I did not think, oh, this this is a sad movie, like at all. Really? No, no, not at all. Because I think the tone of it was not like, oh, this is suddenly a sad movie. Like, I understood that like you know, like once the next scene happened, I understood the role that that scene played in like his narrative. I wasn't like, oh, okay, this movie is not going to suddenly be about like people dying on the seas trying to find a new life like sure it's not so right but, i think the tone from the very first scene in which we first see the pink clouds and giant pekingese um like oh okay this movie is gonna be very like over the top very farcical and you know it has a lot of the usual farcical the things you think you know expect like there's there's gender bending there's there's you know hidden identities uh <laughs> there's you know so, sexy nuns uh, yeah sexy nuns uh you know so it really felt like kind of an early Almodovar movie to me in a lot of ways. It felt mm. like a, just like a chaotic early 80s Almodovar. Mm. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so this 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 adult woman um, poses as um, a young boy uh, and, and and no one notices. And, and, no. and then, and then let, let alone sweet Ronaldo. And so <laughs> who just falls deep into parental love with the young boy and uh, just throws his whole heart into becoming a good parent to him. But... Um, his evil scheming sisters have other plans for him. Um, and that's when the movie becomes a really surprising, uh, kind of acidic, funny, uh, commentary on the, you know, the wave of nationalism that's been sweeping right. Europe and, uh, you know, North America as well. So that's what really, I was like, oh, damn. It and becomes a, a very pointed critique of America. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, it rides a, a nationalistic wave of, uh, oh, yeah, and Britain, um, because they have their own, like, leave the mm -hmm. EU campaign happening. Um, and, yeah, the, all those talking points are very, uh, you know, very aligned with what's happening uh, in terms of, like, referencing, yeah. you know, the Crusades. And it, get, um, it gets to a point where, like, I'm like, this is actually really smart to have, like, a farcical, satirical portrait of what it would look like for, like, Portugal to mount a leave the EU campaign <laughs> so that when because you just know that like somewhere like you know C-Band's like ah fuck um, because now if people actually see this movie in Portugal they'll be like oh well, we shouldn't do that remember that movie made fun of that right right uh, it's, it's like, this idea they, they have this like wall building campaign right. like on the Iberian Peninsula when the, the refugees are coming on the water <laughs> so the wall isn't even like on the coast <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that that's good <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would say, I guess this is a movie that either, like, works for you or it doesn't. I will say, like, it does take, as I mentioned earlier, it takes a turn for the chasing Amy in a way that I'm definitely like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But but there's been a certain amount of gender bending that's gone on throughout that somehow made it more forgivable. So uh, that isn't even totally the point. That definitely mm -hmm. was, like... Right. Uh, 
a, a very disappointing situation. Um, and I feel like it goes back to the uh, someone had someone. Um, okay, my partner said it. Uh, like, why even have them be lesbians if you're just gonna like have it turn around and and have have her um, you know pull a chasing Amy? Right. And what's the point? Why, why would you make that choice? Um, and then the thing that really is disturbing is that you know um, the little boy Rahim, whose mm-hmm. actually name is Aisha. Aisha um, they they do end up having a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And it just, I mean, maybe it's coming off of all the like leaving Neverland vibes, but it, it, it feels, it feels really inappropriate. The whole time he's, he sincerely, he doesn't understand until after, until after they like have their like time on the boat when his sisters tell him that he's, uh, he's a woman. Um, well, no, he knew. He that, doesn't. <laughs> he knew by that point that it was a woman. I feel like he didn't, which was also <laughs> like that part almost made it funny again because it was like and after that you didn't know because then he was disappointed right. by his sisters telling him but <laughs> it 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 doesn't nothing, nothing sexual or inappropriate happens while he believes that Aisha is a young boy named Raheem like I think that's the whole thing is that like he is so oblivious like he's never we find he's he's a virgin he's never had sex he's not a sexual person he doesn't think about sex like he's oblivious to his like body walking around underwear and so <laughs> I think you know there's there's the appearance of impropriety um, to to Lucia, her to her girlfriend, mm-hmm. when she walks in and like sees them like in bed. But as far as um, as far as Ronaldo is concerned, this there's there's sex never even enters his mind. So it's actually Aisha who is beginning to look at him sexually, um, you know, much to her surprise. As this mission continues, I think he's pretty oblivious to it until then. Suddenly, like things change, and then you know, like, <laughs> oh, things change, right? Uh, lots of things change. So yeah, so I didn't think any of that bothered me. I didn't think any of that, like it felt like it just felt like it was all in keeping with like the very like European farce that like, oh yeah, like this very clearly grown adult woman who was pretending to be a young boy fooled this idiot and then he realized that she's a woman and then they fall in love. Like it just felt like, it just felt like pretty standard farce stuff for me. I wasn't bothered by it. Typical Woody Allen type. (laughs) Right. Fodder. Right. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, so much of that movie without that, relationship part uh i think worked so well like i the 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 fascism um uh the weird uh way he gets pulled into things after being like an internet pariah Mm -hmm. um his slow realization um of like being plucked out of a life of privilege and realizing the extreme other end of the world like so much of it works Mm -hmm. i just like that that didn't that didn't fly that's such a strange you need to stop watching things i'm gonna go ahead and say it i'm against you watching things with soul you now you wow. come back. You come back with these crazy ideas, and then you're always like, "Well, Soul said." So you're you're saying you're saying I um, that the the brown lesbians, mm-hmm. the women, shouldn't be watching the movies. Absolutely, together. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. There's more than one. I see. Then I feel like that's too many. What are the other movies that uh, you disagree? There was I can't, there was some other one we were talking about together where she when we were at Martini's that one time and she was talking about like. Oh God, what movie was it? There's something where she was like, "Oh yeah, we watched that. That was that was so stupid. I didn't understand that. I thought that was terrible." And and I was and I disagreed. Uh, so that's a cool story. You I just know, she told. edits a podcast now. <laughs> I know. Hi, soul. Love you. Thank you. <laughs> um, although, don't like that stuff. Like like it's on me that you have her editing the podcast. <laughs> no, it is. It's not on you. It's it's on both of us. Thank you, soul, for editing the show. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I really, I, this is a binge it for me. Are you fucking kidding me? No. I wow. thought this was a real, I, I thought this was a real breath of fresh. Almost turned this off multiple times. <gasps> yeah, no, I was, I was like, I need, I'm, I'm going to turn this off. I'm going to turn this off. And she was like, you have to watch it for the, po- you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. She was like, you have to watch it for the podcast. And I was like, I want to turn it off. Can we watch something else? We'll come back to it later. Which I never come back to it later when I say that. <laughs> and she was like, no, you have to watch, we have to watch it. You have to watch it. So. What one? Watch your tone. Two, <laughs> I can't believe you. You think it's a binge it. Watch I I looked at Rotten Tomatoes after this and I was like, what yeah. the fuck is going on? Yeah, this is like this is like a really funny movie. Like I wow. was so feeling like the originality of it, uh, the boldness, the humor, the satire. Like I think this is like the movie for 2019. 
this was yeah i was like what uh, yeah wow i was i mean like literally we just spelled out all the very obvious reasons it is the movie of 2019 with all the things it's about which are 2019 things so yeah like oh a movie about not the movie for for yeah. 2019 okay yeah. not the 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 best movie of 2019 no oh no 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 not the best movie okay. of 2019 okay no, no 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 yes this is definitely the movie of 2019 yes <laughs> you're like well, you're like a horrible year <laughs> that we remembered <laughs> Or it's, it's this is a movie of 1943 let me tell yeah. you <laughs> so yeah i don't know it's a binge it for me i, I wow really... it's a send it back for me <laughs> so i guess it's a it's, it's a, a polarizing neat film it's a polarizing <laughs> film uh it's unrated but would be r for graphic nudity and language wow this is gonna be a roller coaster of a review <laughs> time and the last movie we have this week is tony morrison's the pieces i am this artful and intimate meditation on the legendary storyteller examines her life, her works, and the powerful themes she has confronted throughout her literary career. If you thought that last movie was polarizing, <laughs> boy, oh boy, you don't know how Jason feels about Toni Morrison. I hate her. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, have you read a lot of Toni Morrison? Uh, no, not a bunch. Um, but I do actually, uh, in the early 90s when I was first becoming pretentious, um, <laughs> I that was she won the Nobel Peace Prize for literature. She won the Nobel Prize for literature in 1993, and I was like just you know a year and change into my Entertainment Weekly um, mm. transformation at the time, and her new book at the time was Jazz, and so oh my god that's right up your alley. So I went and got it, and I kind of misunderstood the assignment. So I was reading it and in my mind I was I was reading it with like jazzy phrasing because I meant I thought that I was like reading like the pull quotes and they were like her language is jazz it's written in the rhythm of jazz and I took that very literally and so <laughs> I sat there like 11 years old sitting in my like elementary school reading jazz and Brilliant. being like um, babadoop <laughs> um like as I'm trying to read this this book that was way past my point of comprehension mm. Mm. So, uh, so yes. Um, and I, God, have I ever read a Toni Morrison book all the way through? I actually don't think I have. Um, but I did see Beloved and I mm -hmm. was a very big fan of that film. And that film is discussed here. Oprah's, uh, Oprah is one of the many, um, luminaries who, um, who signed up to talk about Toni Morrison in this film. And um, she talks about the struggle of making that movie and Toni Morrison's reluctance to let it become a movie, etc. Anyway, what about you, Rebecca? Have you read a Toni Morrison book? Uh, no, I have not. Ah. Mm -hmm. We are ignorant people. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't be allowed to have a podcast. Not at all. But here we are. Yep. So I guess we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, let me just say Toni Morrison is 88. Wow. And her talking heads, because she, she, she spoke extensively on camera for this movie. Mm -hmm. Like the most vibrant vivacious 88 year old you'll ever see mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just i was my jaw dropped when i found out that that's her her age yeah in this film unbelievable mm -hmm. she I, I feel like she'll live to be 130 i hope yeah um this is an american masters um documentary for pbs mm. and uh and so it is you know a very just thorough tasteful fairly straightforward um documentary but not straightforward in the sense that it's just right into the biographical details like i feel like it's definitely it seems like it's much more interested in a series of meditations on different ideas that her mm. work introduced or challenged mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you know sort of bring these luminaries like you know angela davis and fran Lebowitz and all these different people together to um to comment on it and the, the ways that her work changed the world i think um an interesting part that is kind of the more traditional biographical sense is the the section where they focus on her as an editor mm. um which is something i think yeah i i can't say but i didn't know and maybe overlooked overshadowed right. by her um uh, achievements as an author right but um they extensively talk about how she uh used her position as an editor to be able to collect and, and help others rise up um other women authors other mm -hmm. people of color how um how critical she was in sort of getting those voices exposed um, at that time which i i is like you know uh it's incredible to be able to do one thing mm -hmm. and have so much impact that way and then it's it's like a whole other person's life to be incredible in another way right and, right. and, and share that uh that position they have with others which i think would also be hard i think like 
from an ego point of view, especially when you have uh, critics saying like, who's the black author with the black right. voice and like, you know, pitting people against each other to be able to yeah. be vulnerable to that and, and, and share the, the privilege that you, you've worked for. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, she she talks in, the, in this documentary about how, you know, the point in her life that she stopped thinking of herself as an editor who also writes and mm. as a teacher who also writes. Because, you know, Toni Morrison did not become primarily an author until, like, she was in her 40s, I think. Uh, so, which is astounding when you think about what she has done, the way mm. she's changed the landscape of the written word um, for something that wasn't even what her what she was known as her profession for until she was middle-aged. See, there's hope for all of us. There really is. Aw, we'll just leave it at that. Moving <laughs> Rebecca, on. it's been fun. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, yeah, this movie also, uh, you know, it talks about, I mean, it, it, there's so much. I mean, there's there's so many different morsels from Toni Morrison's mm. life and significance that have so much resonance and relevance today. So it's like the entire movie, it's like this movie, it's like it's it's a full two hours and it is dense and uh because there's so much to say mm. um but you know one of the things they get out they talk about right away is the way that she was received by critics uh when she first um published uh, sula which was a, her first novel i believe and uh you know that there were critics in the new york times that were just like oh it'd be really great if tony morrison would stop mm. narrowing her work to only talk about black people uh like it really like, there's so much to to extract from her story just in terms of like representation both for artists and storytellers as well as for critics yeah yeah i i say over oh, the brown woman in the room <laughs> <laughs> stop Would... watching movies with your girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> listen she's putting these ideas in your heads uh what uh... history will not look upon you kindly mr Leroy. <laughs> yes history will will later insist that at least two brown women be in every room to watch a movie <laughs> and you two will be held up as Especially the if ideal we're both under five foot five <laughs> <laughs> between the two of you, you make one person <laughs> so that is what is required i mean a... according to the pay we get oh equal pay what do you think i'm like we're the democratic debates are happening in the next room these things are in the air um uh equal rights act stop let's do it she's from uh she's from lorraine uh i'm right outside oh, of cleveland yes. ohio ohio there were so many ohio maps that are mm-hmm. shown in this movie yeah uh, they were very familiar you know uh, growing up before um navigation on the phone we had those book <laughs> maps in the car <laughs> She did say something that that um uh I felt w- was was justifying um again I I watched this movie with my girlfriend and um she's not been to Ohio but she will be in like a week mm. so hopefully it's what I have uh, I told her it's all <laughs> a field of puppies and hopefully she will join us for that cruise <laughs> I guess we'll find out um but um Tony Morrison describes how that area is like just um you know. It isn't. It wasn't very segregated, and that it's like you know a lot of like uh, immigrant and ethnicities together, and because um, I always try to explain what that's like versus like San Francisco, right? Um, and and she really paints a picture of how it's kind of a like the melting pot um, situation. So um, yeah, lots of good, lots of good yeah. uh, Northeast and Ohio stories. And there's that one, uh, that one woman is just like there's something in the water in Ohio. I know. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> keep going. She was she was giving her talking headpiece as you the same way you were reading jazz I think mm-hmm. yeah no that was a very yeah no I I was I I too was very melodious mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean like it's it's you know Tony Mo- Tony Morrison's story just you know is also the story of of Black America in the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, you know just through I mean she if she's 88 then that means that she was born in like 1921 or something like that mm. is that bad math 31. 31 maybe no Mm-mm. 21 let's see 20 plus 80 <laughs> no 30 plus oh yeah so it'd be like 31 yeah 1931 years 2019 that'd be 69 plus 19 31 mm-hmm. yes there we are you got there so you know i mean someone's she... yelling 31 into their <laughs> we we hear you mm-hmm. um yeah so that means you know she was like you know eight years old uh when the stock market the stock market crashed in 39 oh wait no that was 29 that was 29 oh! She was born in the Great Depression, though. That happened two years before she was born. You just did that quick math. Yes. See, I can do minus two. Mm-hmm. That much I can do. No thanks to my Ohio education. But she lived through World War II? She did. 
uh, and um, still spry as can be. So yeah, there's just there's there's so many great stories here. This is I would say this is a work that befits an author of the magnitude of Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not like that hack by Angelou. What was there to say about her? For Toni, though, there's a lot. There's a lot to say. And there even like even um you know Oprah has a cool talking head that she does where she talks about like basically without saying it in as many words, you know, she basically says like I would pick easy white books. And lure people in, and then I would smack them with a Toni mm, Morrison yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, when you think about, you know, what Oprah achieved, um, just in terms of, yeah, you know, being, uh, you know, a black woman who became one of the most famous women in the world, and used her platform to sort of subversively advocate uh, in ways that white America didn't really notice and didn't mm. resist uh, to advocate for people who were, you know, fair, who to their minds might be fairly radical and who they never otherwise consider people like Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, and Oprah is 95. Oprah is 95. Little known fact. Um, so yeah, this is, you know, yeah, it's, 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 there's, yeah, there's a lot to chew on here. And, um, and, and, and this is really fun just watching Toni Morrison talk. Like I think I yeah. was expecting Toni Morrison speaking to be a very, like a fairly like dry, cerebral, serious thing. But no, she is lively. She is funny. She's easy to laugh. Like it's mm-hmm. like she seems like a blast. So that was not expected. No, no. I mean, I think that this could I be seen could... as like a um, a very standard documentary, except that yeah. the people talking are so interesting and they have right. interesting things to say. But otherwise, it's not like in yeah. any way a particularly unique situation. No. no. Uh, what are you going to give this? Uh, I'm giving it a binge it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a binge it too. I'm a triple binge this week. Ooh. Um, it is rated PG-13 for some disturbing images and thematic material. And that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes or whatever you use for your podcasts. Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. Uh, I am Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.